Welcome in to the Bear Down Podcast. I'm Chris Black along with Adam Abdallah. You can listen to our show weeknights at 6 right here on ESPN 1000. Today on the Bear Down Podcast, we have a special guest in studio, Abdallah, Courtney Cronin from ESPN. She covers the Chicago Bears, not only for ESPN, but also for us at ESPN 1000. She joins us in studio. What's up, Courtney? Not much. How are you guys doing? We're good. Uh, you know, Gorgeous the, outside. The draft is over. The weather's turning. Rookie camp was over the yeah. weekend. It feels like we can finally shift our thoughts in this Bears team to like getting ready to next year, right? Like, There's yeah. a lot of waiting and and waiting to see what players are going to be here free agency the draft and like how things are going to shape up and and now we we kind of have what we're going to have until the rest of the roster is filled out yeah and i think it's intriguing now with ota starting and then you get the whole squad together to see what that actually looks like and the funny thing is there's still a little bit of a ways from 90 i think they're somewhere in the 73 to 75 player range where they still need about 15 to be able to fill out uh the roster and, and hit that offseason limit which is just kind of crazy but i think the way that i look at this is that two of the very big first for this franchise moving forward under the leadership of Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles have been accomplished. Like they got their first free agency out of the way. How did that pan out? What did they come away with? What are they still missing? Those were the things we've been talking about for the last six to eight weeks. And now they've gotten their first draft together out of the way. What does that look like? 11 players total, two skill players on offense, four offensive linemen, top two picks or defensive backs. Like there's so much now that we have to actually talk about that makes sense with this team that's more than just a speculation of, well, what might they do in these two phases of the offseason? Now we get to move forward to the summertime and gearing up towards OTA's minicamp and then then the real questions start. The camp storylines can actually start to take shape a little bit and we figure out, all right, what are the big position battles? What are, you know, who are we expecting to stand out? What UDFA might crack the 53? Those sorts of things. So it's exciting now, I guess, for Bears fans to finally have actual things to talk about, even though this offseason has felt very long uh, for all intents and purposes. You were up there for the workouts uh, over the weekend, and Luke Getzey talked, and he you know, talked mm-hmm. about the offense. And How do they feel about their offense, and what are their expectations for this offense? Because after the draft and after free agency, fans are kind of sitting there wondering and saying, well, like, what are we going to how is this improved? Yeah. Like, how is this, how is this any better than the weapons that, it was that Justin Fields exactly. had last year? And how did you, <laughs> how did you help him? But I think that like having a new scheme and new fresh eyes and, and actual offensive coordinators and, and people that are there to handle what just Justin Fields is doing in his development, that kind of feels like some for, form of renewed hope to me. Yeah. And I, I think with Luke Getze in installing a brand new scheme and it's going to be a brand new voice in the head set for Justin Fields you have to go through that in phases and they're still at the beginning of their phase where they're learning each other and the initial comments that we heard from Luke Getze because this is our first time talking to him since he was hired back in in January of how did everything go the last couple months how was your relationship with Justin Fields how has it evolved and I think the big takeaway I had there because I don't know what we've heard the last couple of days when Ryan Poles came on um, Cap and Jay Hood and he talked about Justin Fields. What else is he going to say yeah, when right. he's the, asked the question? Are about, you all in? Right? Yes, all, are you all in? Yeah. Like, and he—he's been. It's not just us here at One Thousand that have asked him that. Like, he's been asked that everywhere, and he's not going to say anything other than, "Of course, we have full belief, and we're all in on Justin Fields." Same sort of thing, I think, with Luke Getzey here. Like, you're. 
you know, there haven't been any meaningful plays just yet. Of course he's got faith in the quarterback. Of course he thinks that the sky's the limit for this kid and wanting to see his scheme through and also the plan that he has clearly developed developed for Justin Fields and, and it's going to be a multi-phase thing. He wants to see that through. So, of course, right now there's not much that he can say that's going to be concrete other than I think the thing that I took away when Luke Getze talked was that you know, Justin Fields has gotten comfortable in being able to relay what he sees about the offense, questions he has, things that maybe as a rookie, when they talk about drinking from a fire hose, that's like the the phrase that we hear a lot about just getting a, a, a swath of information sure. thrown at you when you're a rookie. Now he's a second-year player, and he's able to parse through what he knows, what he doesn't know, and, and probably dissect areas that he wants to improve upon or maybe double back on with the offensive coordinator a little bit more seamlessly than he probably did in the past and I just think that that's the growth for a second year player but him in the in the quarterbacks or excuse me in the offensive coordinator being on the same page is wildly critical for this because Luke Getze is the voice of the offense like we know Matt Eberflus is defensive head coach and pairing a defensive head coach who is a first-time head coach with a quarterback who you're trying to develop that's a that's a really tough task mm-hmm. so Luke Getze is going to hold even more importance I think in being able to develop that relationship now is why this time of year is so critical for the for a team like the Chicago Bears and trying to get that all the groundwork ready so you're not trying to do all of this at the end of the summer yeah absolutely and and we we played the audio of luke getsy last night on the show and and the way we kind of took that was when you look at luke getsy stepping into this role he's the offensive mastermind he also was in green bay Mm -hmm. with one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks in league history in aaron Rodgers. so his relationship with Rodgers and being able to work with Aaron Rodgers and to game plan, get feedback, and then kind of change what the offense was and, and have that kind of develop over time it is a skill set that I think is certainly going to help Getz, Getzy, but also yeah. help Justin Fields uh, become uh, his own player, his, develop into a star-level quarterback here in Chicago that I, I think there's, there's something that's it was interesting listening to him, and he seems as if Getsy has like a grasp that this process is not going to happen overnight. But also, it, it gave me confidence as a Bears fan that at least he understands that there's a direction here. And and Courtney, like a lot of this, I think for me personally and for other Bears fans, is that the last quote quarterback guru that was here, the things that he said didn't quite always make sense, and they didn't give us confidence. And then when the results started to uh, back up our suspicions that he was a bit of a, a fraud of a offensive mastermind. Uh, I, I feel like what we heard from Getze seemed like a professional uh, measured approach. And it was, it was nice to hear. And that's something that we talked about last night on the show that like hearing someone who's in the quarterback's ear and in the, the offensive room, who seems like he's been there before mm-hmm. and knows what he's doing, even though it's his first like big time gig to, to run an offense. It was reassuring to me. I think the first tell of that is when Luke Getze is asked about the offense that he's installing. Like, it is his offense, but he doesn't call it, like, my offense, my right. scheme. And, and a lot of times, I mean, I've been around coaches who have done it one way and coaches who have done it that way. Kevin Stefanski was somebody who would constantly refer to it as the Minnesota Vikings offense when he was the offensive coordinator there before he went on to Cleveland. And I think that even though it's just a phrase and we know who's calling the plays and we know who whose scheme and, and whose philosophies are being enacted on Sundays, 
it's little things like that that I think let you know the direction that this team wants to go and is building towards with the offensive play caller, but really just like the overall, when you hear that word collaboration, it feels like there's, that's the type of stuff when you actually see it take shape. And so the experience that, someone like Luke Getze has and being a number of different places. I mean, he's been in the college game before for a number of years. He's also been with the Green Bay Packers, and there's no better teacher than having Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback when he was the quarterback's coach and the passing game coordinator the last two seasons. You learn from one of the greatest of all time. That helps you as a play caller, as somebody who is delving into the ins and outs of what this scheme's going to be to make it the quote-unquote quarterback-driven offense that he said when he was hired, that's what they needed to do around Justin Fields. And that extends to everything we've talked about this offseason, that there might not be enough weapons around Justin Fields. They probably need to do more. The, they need a balanced running rushing attack for, for Justin Fields because the best thing you can do for a quarterback who's in his second year is not drop back and pass every single time, and then the defense knows that that's going to happen, and they can tee off on that, and then oh, he yeah. gets sacked 54, 52 times, whatever it was last yeah. year. Um, Luke Getty seems to get all of that, and granted, we've talked to him twice publicly. There will be moments where we can actually judge this as the offseason progresses and what we see with this offensive line, first and foremost, looks like in training camp. That, to me, is where you start with these things that are talked about during the offseason. Are they matching up with what the offensive coordinator says a couple months from now? That's where we can truly, I think, judge him in a way or you know, really grade him on what he's doing. But as of right now, he's saying the right things as it pertains to how the Bears are able to tap into that potential with Justin Fields and what they at least hope to get out of it this year, but also a longer-term approach. Yeah, because our thing has always been, like we watch a lot of college football, and so our thing has always been this guy beat up on Clemson in the college football playoff. He went to a national championship mm-hmm. game. Like they he went back and forth with Alabama and at least for the first half. Like he's done this. Like Justin Fields has done this before. Like we've seen it before. And I know the you mentioned the, you know, drinking out of a fire hose, but at the same time I think Bears fans are kind of like, "Well, we come on. Like we we want this guy this kid is ready." But now it doesn't seem like the team is ready. And I think that Bears fans are are also worried about the situation where, well, maybe he's ready and the team isn't ready. And then we miss out because we never actually find out what Justin Fields could be. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking for another quarterback here in a couple of years. Yeah, it's tough because it's a window that they have to not necessarily win within, but figure it out within. Mm -hmm. And and to your point, Adam, just about the... um, you know, Justin Fields at, at, at Ohio State, like, because I've had the same thought. And then you have to, like, really dive into it. He had a great offensive line in front of him. Yeah. So, of course, if, if, if he's got somebody that's streaking downfield who, you know, is a first-round pick at receiver, um, that guy's probably beating his corner, and Justin knows that he can – he doesn't yeah. have to – he can throw him open. Like, yeah. you have trust in that. And so I think that that's where we have to – you know, looking back at college tape of Justin Fields and looking at what he did last year as a rookie and where the, I guess, where things aren't lining up here. You know, he was playing with a lot of NFL talent in college and they yeah. were steamrolling everybody that year. So I think that that's something to take into effect. But it's tough when you look at Justin Fields and you think, okay, the thought, the school of thought that the Bears should have gone all in on offense right away and use their top two picks either on a wide receiver or an offensive lineman and then gone heavy on their defense, that's going to still stick with, I think, a lot of Bears fans going forward because it feels like you have a franchise quarterback right now 
a potential franchise quarterback right now that you're trying to figure out can he can he be that guy and there hasn't necessarily been the level of help and support provided that have that has matched up to what people in the Bears brass have said throughout the offseason that they believe in Justin Fields they they you know they want to help him grow well the actions don't necessarily line up to that, but I, I feel like it's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because this is such this was it might still be who knows such a talent deficient roster. You, if you're going off best player available in the long right. long term mm-hmm. approach here, you know finding two defensive players that could potentially start for you for five to eight to ten years, it's hard to pass that up in favor of an offensive lineman that you might be overdrafting at one of those spots and. It's such a push and a pull. I feel like they were they were faced with such a conundrum this this draft because of how many needs they had to fill, and there will be people who continue from here on out to say that they failed Justin Fields because they didn't do what so many had thought they were going to do and going heavy on the offensive side first to best support your franchise quarterback in this you know developmental time. Well, and, and along those lines, Courtney, I, I, I think the, the player that that's going to, the pressure is going to fall to that player will be Jones Jr., who was taken in the third round, the wide receiver mm-hmm. from Tennessee, because there were opportunities to maybe get more polished route running yeah. wide receivers who could immediately help Justin Fields. So you, you covered uh, rookie minicamp last weekend uh, from from being up there and, and seeing Jones in action and in what you've heard uh, behind the scenes, what do you think they see in him, and and how did the first weekend go with the new wide receiver? I think that they look at someone like Velas Jones, and it's the bang-for-your-buck argument because not only do you get somebody who's capable on offense as a receiver, and granted, you're right, there mm-hmm. were several other players um, at, at at 71 that they could have had Calvin sure. Austin and Jalen Tolbert. Um, there's se- there's several that come to mind. They passed over George Pickens twice that had more of the, they had more offensive production coming out of college than Bayless Jones did. And it did take him a while to put it together. Like a six year college career, of course you get the COVID year and, and that's thrown in, but that's a, he, he talked about being um, like a late bloomer. Sure. And I asked him about it. Just like, do you feel like that helped you? In terms of your in terms of your development as a football player, because the reality is, if he had it all together, he would have been drafted by right. now. It wouldn't have taken him six years to, you know, put together a college career. He would have already been in the NFL, and he probably would have gone higher in the draft. But I think he looks at that as a twenty-five-year-old rookie, which is one of the bigger things we've talked about, and just how rare that is, and also is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Trying to judge that, he looks at it as a situation where he's coming in matured. He's played a considerable amount of football now the numbers don't necessarily say you know they they don't necessarily reflect okay this guy's got had like multiple 2,000 yard receiving seasons etc etc it just shows he's been in two different offense two different teams multiple different offenses and asked to do a lot not just on the offensive side of the ball but also from the you know special teams aspect and that for me at rookie camp was what I was watching and you got to see like the beginnings of that I think what Richard Hightower the special teams coordinator had said about anyone with a helmet who has return capabilities which might be hyperbole but he did say it about you know the kick and punt return um game because I asked him like is Velas Jones you're going to start are you going to try to train him at kick return are you going to try to do him at punt return because he did punt return last year at Tennessee and he averaged 15.1 yards per return and he had a touchdown as a kickoff returner and you know was co-special teams player of the year in the SEC 
he clearly can do a lot with that. And I think that that's what they see here, that it's not just somebody that can be your potential X receiver because he's got speed and speed kills on the outside. You can line him up in the backfield. You can put him in the slot. And you also have a dynamic returner on special teams. And they lost that because they don't have Tariq Cohen. They don't have Jakeem Grant anymore on special, you know, for the return game. And in addition, you also have a weapon at receiver behind Mooney and Pringle and potentially Equinemius St. Brown that you can do a lot of different things with. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, like, we, we look at this whole situation and talking about helping out a quarterback. And, like, I know both of us thought, Adam and I, heading into the draft, that you had to get a wide receiver with one of those first two picks just based on what we thought the talent that would be on the board when you got to that third round would be. Um, but they, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You you laid out also you, you may have two defensive starters for quite some time. And, and I think that also applies like as far as pressure goes. Like Both of uh, the two players that were taken in the second round, Brisker's going to have to be yeah. an impact safety because I also think when we talk about your hierarchy of a team, to me the safety is the least important piece of the defense. So if you're only uh, if you're going into a draft with no first round picks, you have two second round picks to kind of get you started, jumpstart this rebuild. Uh, you you have to hit on these players, mm-hmm. um, but I think that that's also obvious of any team that's at the point talent wise that the Bears are in is any player drafted you have to hit uh, to have some kind of impact going forward. Because I, I know Adam felt the same way when it came to drafting wide receivers. Uh, when the Bears are entering the draft. Yeah, and I, I agree with you about the safety. I like the corner that they got. I think, you know, Washington always has really good defensive players that come out, especially in the mm-hmm. secondary. So that's, I think it's good. But what what I heard Ryan Pulse say to Cap and Jay Hood, and I'm sure he said this, he said this multiple times, he said everything multiple times so far, is that you're always, re- like he didn't want to use the re- re- word rebuild, but he kind of said you're always rebuilding. Like, you never want to stand pat. Like, look at the Rams. Like, the Rams are always adding, like, the best players, mm-hmm. and it's not fair. But when you look at as far as building this offense and con- and continuously adding to this offense, is is this, like, wide receiver market that we're seeing and wide receivers being angry about things and not happy where they are and wanting more money? And then, you know, like, the Titans trade away A.J. Brown, but then they basically just draft A.J. Brown, but he's cheaper mm-hmm. now, and they don't have to pay him, but someone else is paying him. So are they kind of counting on that by the amount of money that they have to spend next season? They have their own first-round pick. Like, are they saying, hey, like, we'll be fine. We need to build everywhere on this team. Like, every we need to get better at every position every single year. 100%. So next year, when we have a ton of money... And there'll probably be another pissed off wide receiver somewhere that like maybe we can capitalize and either trade for that wide receiver or we'll just sign someone because we have $140 million or something like that. Yeah, and they cannot come out and publicly say, everyone chill on 2022. It's going to be a long year. Take the under on the wins. (laughs) And, you know, we're going to just try to keep it moving throughout the season. They can't say that. Like, you know, and that's the thing I think Ryan Poles. You know, when he's talking about a rebuild, you can't. Robert Quinn had been asked about that, and he didn't like the term rebuild. And so Ryan Poles, before the draft, was asked about, you know, is there a phrase you want to use? And he kind of likened it to like a house remodel where some rooms may need some work, mm-hmm. others may need less. Guys are coming into work every single day, and they're not trying to suck. Like, that's, that's the, thing, the thing that you take away with. Sure. This is, these are professional athletes. Like, yeah. and you want to sell 
free agents to come here because, you know, there's guys who might be on their last contract. Why would I want to go to a place where every day is going to be miserable and this team's not going to be getting is only going to be getting marginally better in one year. You can't sell it that way. You can't sell it that way to fans. You can't sell it that way to players who are trying, who might be coming here and signing here in the next couple months. So, but to your point, that's that's the logical thing. Like they are in a long term rebuild, and every move that they've made this off season, in large part, has reflected that because they have the security. I mean, Ryan Poles, remember the, the final job that he. His other offer he had was Minnesota. He was getting, Minnesota gave Quasi Adolfo Mensa a four-year contract. Ryan Pohl's got a five-year contract here. That extra year is huge because that security and stability in knowing, okay, if I rip this thing down to the studs, am I going to have time to see my plan through? Because if you don't, that's when you start making moves that suggest a little bit of a knee-jerk that might be, okay, that one was probably eyeing a, a, a team that might actually win more games than they than they would and in 2022, and, and things wouldn't align. Everything so far is frustrating, as I'm sure as it's been for Bears fans, to kind of have to sit on the sideline here. Everything is pointed towards 2023 is when they believe they can start being competitive. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that the 2022 year is a wash. Like, it's hard because as a sports writer and as a, somebody who covers this team, <laughs> you have to go into this objectively and realize it could be a very long season. Justin Fields might have a really tough year yeah, because of what's like around him, but you have to look at it realistically and expect, okay... In order for things to get better, they might have to get worse first. And I know that that's tough because it probably feels to some fans like they're already at ground zero. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, how much longer of that can you sustain? Well, I feel like I there's, there's two different definitions of competing, right? Like, we talked about this last night, too, where I, I don't expect them to compete for a division title or the playoffs, but I expect them to be in games, yeah. like, competing mm-hmm. that way. And, like, you look at the—I know we don't have the schedule. We'll get that later this week. But you look at the opponents and the teams that they face this year, and you're like, okay, like— they should be able to it win seems seven. manageable. They should be able to win seven this or eight is, games. This is not the year for them to draw the NFC East, right? <laughs> like a year when you're trying to yeah. rebuild. Like this should right. have been the next year if exactly. they thought, oh man, let's capitalize on having one of the weaker divisions yeah. as, as most people but would what consider I want to it. see is I don't want to see blowouts. Like that's to me is competing. Like that's taking the next step. It's right. like we saw that with the Bulls, right? When the mm-hmm. Bulls were rebuilding and they were getting better, they would get blown out by really good teams and they were then you start competing with those teams then eventually you start beating those teams. That's what I want to see. I just want to see like them getting to the point where they're not getting blown out by the Bucks and yeah. they're not like I'm not turning the game off in the third quarter because they're down three touchdowns. Like they should be able and I think they do have a decent enough team that if Justin Fields is who we think he's going to be, they'll be a competitive team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're winning anything. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, because you can be competitive within, and I hate to use the term competitive rebuild, because that's what they were, you know, I came from Minnesota, that's what the term they were using up there, it's a non-sequitur, it makes no sense. You cannot compete to be a playoff team while you're rebuilding, it's it's a (laughs) non-sequitur. But that's that's the whole argument here. Let's use Robert Quinn as an as an example, right? Like he was supposed right. to be this this piece that might get moved in the offseason. He was asked about it. You need someone to rush the passer. Mm-hmm. You need to field a competitive football team that can go against other professional football players and be able to sustain a pass rush to not, you know, have what happened to them last year where they give up 31 passing touchdowns mm-hmm. and all of the things that went wrong. You need to be able to have players that can actually like hang in games for four quarters as cliche as that sounds so yeah like you can't 
in a rebuild and what they're doing here and looking towards the long term, there are going to be different building blocks now. The building blocks are no longer the Khalil Max and um, you know older defensive players that are no longer here, Akeem Hicks, Bilal Nichols, all those guys. They're now Jalen Johnson. They're uh, still obviously Roquan Smith in that mix, but now they're Jaquan Brisker and they're Kyler Gordon. Right. It's it's just shifting the priorities yeah. and getting younger so you can have a higher ceiling and at least project it out down the road to where at a certain point the hanging in games becomes the tipping point of winning those games yeah. and ball the ball bouncing your way because you're you're making your own luck out there because you are competitive and you're talented enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Courtney, take uh, fans in behind the scenes and your coverage of the Bears for ESPN. What what's next here in the off season? What do you have planned? What are some things kind of for fans to look forward to as the the summer months start to begin before we head to training camp. Yeah, I think it's really getting to know this rookie draft class. Um, There's 11 of them, so there's a lot of stories. (laughs) And I think that that's the intriguing part where, you know, Ryan Poles did spend four picks on offensive linemen. And I know the questions always come out and they kind of frustrate me when you're asking a fifth-round pick, do you anticipate starting right away? Are you competing for a starting job? Like, (laughs) my God, you're a fifth-round pick. Like, you don't even have, like, the right body composition to be competing (laughs) in the NFL yet. I'm just happy to be here. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And so, but I I do think that that part of what's going to happen is, like, the next intriguing part for me as a, as a journalist of figuring out what this offensive line looks like. Are the tackle spots and and who's in, who are in the tackle spots right now, are those going to be sustainable for Justin Fields in the pass protection. So I feel like the offensive line, as far as like big storylines that I'm going to be following sure. in the next couple months, that's like right at the top of the list. But beyond that, everything around Fields in year two is is going to be noteworthy. Right. Figuring out what this team does to truly support him. Like because if they want to develop a defensive, if they want to continue with the defensive identity when everything is suggesting that they go offense, that's not going to line up. And even though they have a defensive head coach, they've made all the moves to at least insinuate that beyond this year, all of those resources are going to be available and should be used on offense. So I think it's putting those pieces together to figure out what they do the next couple months to be able to field a competitive football team. So Justin Fields can it can grow within a trying season if if that's what this does shake out to be because there's going to have to be things that he does on his own to improve in spite of what's around him and that's tough that's a really mm-hmm. tough burden to put on any player especially a second year quarterback and I, I said this um, I, I said this with Sylvie the other day don't follow the model that Seattle followed do not expect Justin Fields to out athlete other players on the field because. As, as spectacular as Russell Wilson was in Seattle, it eventually caught up to them. And that's why I think the emphasis on the offensive line needs to continue to be there. And there's still time for them to sign people. And, you know, even like what Luke Getty said the other day, that when he was just, he was asked about the offensive line, but he made the point that no jobs have been won yet. And that, that makes me, you know, wonder. Okay, well, what does this offensive line actually look like? How far away are we from knowing what a capable starting five is? So that's just. I mean, there's a lot of things with this with this rookie class, but that to me, in seeing this group, that's probably going to be one of the things I follow more closely. What's the different biggest difference uh, for you covering the Vikings to now covering the Bears? You're back in town. You've been here for a couple months, months yeah. now. So, like, what? 
now that you've been up at Hallis Hall, what what it could be something just off the field, maybe not even with the teams. Is there a major difference you've noticed between the two places? They play music and practice here throughout oh. the entirety of it. Um, that's new for me. Usually, it's two or three songs during stretch, and you're done. Yeah, right. So I f- I'm curious to see. Does that keep guys more locked in? Does that keep the? It means we're doing it during team and seven on seven. Sure. I'm like. Well, what happens if you can't un- you can't yeah, hear right. things? If the coaches and, are saying something from the yeah, sideline, you're, like, you're, you're too you're you're too into the into dancing and the music and what's going on <laughs> to pay oh, attention. I'm to, curious, and so. you don't have to go to Bourbon A anymore either. I know. I've not, I I gosh, I haven't been down to Bourbon A since I was a kid, and I think it was the year that Lance Briggs was holding out during training camp. I that was that. my last. Yeah, um, that my the last flies are still there. Here. The flies are still there. <laughs> it's still it's still just full of it. But yeah, no, it's uh, and we get the schedule release on on Thursday. This never stops. Yeah. No, I mean, the NFL finds a way to make it about themselves year-round, including, like, right in the peak of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference oh, semifinals when basketball is, like, at its oh, peak right now. We're still matter. talking no. about the schedule. Doesn't Every matter. single day Guess we're what? talking about the Brady's schedule. Brady's getting 30, 370 yeah. million. Here's a schedule. And then uh, next week we've got more workouts and stuff. And it's then crazy. we get season previews. And that, that's the best part of the season is getting ready for the season. And we I love it. And there's no summer. Can't that's wait. It. It's over. <laughs> Courtney, thanks for coming in yeah, studio and talking with us. We appreciate it. Courtney Cronin, Bears reporter for ESPN, also for ESPN 1000. Follow her on Twitter, Courtney R. Cronin. Thanks again for joining us, and also thanks for downloading the Bear Down podcast right here on the ESPN Chicago app.